0: And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. How many of you know who John Newton is? Uh, Yeah, you raised your hand the first hour. Anybody else? I saw... Oh! Y'all hear Bill? John Newton was a just wild... Sailor who eventually become, became a, 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 a captain of a boat and a slave trader, right? Uh, he got saved. He became a very godly pastor and the author of many hymns, including Amazing. Amazing Grace, yeah. He said late in his life, "'My memory is almost gone, but I remember two things, "'that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior.'" Now, even if your past is not as notorious as John Newton's, you should be growing in the awareness of those two great facts. Uh, In fact, the longer that I'm a Christian, the more uh, acutely I am aware of the own wickedness of my heart. I can identify with the hymn writer, Robert Robinson. Do you know who he is? He's He's not quite as well known. He should be. He wrote this one right here, Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Well, later in the song, he says this, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Can you relate? But thank God, the more I see my own sinfulness, the more brightly God's grace shines. As Robinson also wrote in this same song, O to grace, how great a a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. So the story of Peter's uh, denials is recorded in Scripture to underscore these two great facts, the weakness and the sinfulness of even the most prominent saints and the uh, greatness and the abundance of God's love and grace towards those who do fall. Now for those who are walking with the Lord, this story warns us to take heed lest we fall. And for any who have fallen, the story holds out hope of pardon. Through God's abundant grace, if you will simply turn back to Him. So even when we fail the Lord badly, if we'll repent, God will restore us and use us again in His service. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come uh, this morning again just uh, seeking a word from You, uh, knowing that Scripture is Your Word, but yet we need the Holy Spirit to interpret it and to shine the light on it in our very hearts. So we ask that You would do this. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. Uh, Father, we're, we're talking about something that hit, hits home with us, and that's when we fail You. Uh, Father, we also see the hint of hope that Jesus holds out in that one look. So God, uh, speak to our hearts this morning and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now I've only got a couple of main points this morning. The first one is a bunch of little points but but only a couple major ones. The first one is sometimes we fail the Lord badly. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Luke here draws a really stark contrast between Peter's failure to confess Christ under pressure and Jesus' faithful confession under pressure. Just just during this same time, Jesus confessed that He is the Messiah, the Son of God, before the powerful Jewish Sanhedrin. That is the, they're it in Israel when it comes to determining what's going to happen. Okay, they are the law for Israel. And He stood up and said, yes, I am the one. But Peter failed to uh, confess Christ before a lowly servant girl. So we have this incredible contrast When you place Peter's earlier confession that's found in chapter nine, you are the Christ of God. Remember he asked, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ of God. When you you put that next to, I do not know him, that he says here, you wonder how the same words could come out of the same mouth in the space of just a few months uh, time. Some might question whether a true Christian could ever do what Peter did on this occasion. But I think we'd be in error to say that Peter was not saved when he committed this sin. He had recognized his own sinfulness in that first great catch of fish. You remember, uh, Lord, we fished all night and ain't called nothing. We'll throw on the right side. And, oh, gosh, okay. We're the fishermen. You're a, you're, 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 you're a religious guy. What do you know about fishing? So they threw on the other side, and what did they catch? About sunk their boat. Peter immediately re- uh, realizes that he's in the presence of deity, and what does he say? he gets down on his face at Jesus's feet and he says depart from me for i am a sinful man o lord jesus's holiness pointed out his sinfulness and he recognized it later this is john chapter 6 jesus preaches some really hard stuff and then in verse 66 so it's john 666 okay you know what it says and many left him. They could not They, they could not understand what, or couldn't follow what he was saying, so many left. 666, interesting. But the next verse, Jesus looks at the apostles and he says, well, do you too want to leave? Peter speaks for the apostles. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter definitely knew Jesus as his Savior and Lord. Now, becoming a Christian is a matter of repentance and faith. That's what Acts 20.21 tells us. They are really flip sides of the same coin. Repentance means turning to God away from sin. Faith is trusting what Christ has done on the cross to pay for our sins rather than trusting in our own efforts or our own good works to save us. Now, just as we cannot turn north without turning our back on south, uh, we cannot turn to a holy God for salvation without turning our backs on our own sin in our lives. Likewise, we cannot trust in Christ to save us without repudiating trust in our own efforts to save ourselves. But the repentance and faith which save us Unfortunately, they don't put us in a protective bubble so that we are free from all sin until we get to heaven. That'd be nice, right? Get saved, never sin again. But that's not the reality. The Christian life begins with repentance and faith, but it also continues with repentance and faith on a daily basis whenever we sin or when when God's Word opens our eyes to sin that we were previously unaware of. Now, if a person is not walking in repentance and faith, then there's reason to doubt whether he truly knows Christ as his Savior. Now still we need to ask, how can a believer who enjoyed the privileges Peter enjoyed, who walked as closely with Jesus as Peter did, who saw the miracles Peter did, one of them being he walked on water in Jesus' presence, who heard the teaching that Peter heard, who confessed his commitment as strongly as could be as Peter did how can a believer like that fall into such a terrible sin well the answer and I want you to note this is gradually not suddenly it occurs over time so a the course of spiritual failure failure is a slow leak it's not a blowout We've all had the shocking experience of seeing seeing someone we looked up to spiritually fall into great sin. Uh, At first glance, it looks like they're cruising along on the interstate at 75 miles an hour, and then bam, they have a blowout. That's what it looks like. And we think, wow, that's scary. I hope it never happens to me. But the fact is, there is no such thing as a spiritual blowout, there are only slow leaks. When you examine any spiritual failure, you, also, you always discover that there's been a slow spiritual decline. It was probably in secret. He kept up the outer appearances. He continued to look like, look the part of a godly man. But in his heart, he was not judging sin. He was not evaluating himself in light of Scripture. Slowly, the air was leaking out of his spiritual tires. But we don't notice until they're actually flat. Now, no man is walking closely with Jesus on Monday and Tuesday gets so mad that he murders somebody. Murder or any other sin always starts in the mind. A man holds a grudge. He secretly thinks of ways to hurt the other person. In his virtual world, he pictures them getting what he thinks they deserve. The problem is his personal Bible study and prayer prayer life they're they're simply superficial now he isn't judging sin he's not walking in fellowship with Christ he justifies it thinking I'm just a normal guy I'm not hurting anyone besides I'd never really do anything like that Satan bides his time until the opportune moment the thoughts continue to escalate Uh, then Satan drops the bait and the man commits an unimaginable sin and, and we're all shocked now the precise course of spiritual failure, that's going to vary from person to person and incident to incident, but we can learn how to avoid the slow leaks in our lives by tracing Peter's decline. So B, I want to consider the, the, the causes of spiritual failure. And I know there's more, but we're just going to look at six. First, we refuse to submit to the hard teachings of Scripture. Just after Peter's famous confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus began to teach the disciples that he must suffer many things, that he's going to be rejected by the Jewish leaders, and that they are going to kill him. Peter couldn't accept that. He actually pulled Jesus to the side and he began to rebuke him. And of course, what does Jesus do? He rebukes Peter back. Do you remember what he says? Get behind me, Satan. That's a clue, isn't it? Get behind me, Satan. You are not keeping the things of God on your mind. You're thinking about the things of men. Now, we've also seen that just hours before this, Jesus predicted that Peter would be sifted by Satan, but Peter protested that he would follow Jesus into prison or even to death. He directly contradicted Jesus' word because it was a hard thing to submit to. Now, Honestly, we're all inclined to do exactly what Peter did. There are many difficult things in Scripture, things that run counter to our liking. And if we're not careful, we focus on the Scriptures we like and we skip the ones we don't care for. It's so easy to do. We like a loving and tolerant God, but we don't care for a holy God who lets us reap what we sow and who visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. We don't like that. We like a God who heals us and makes us happy. But we don't like a God who refines us through trials and hardships. So the first step to a spiritual fall is when you start picking and choosing the Scriptures that tell you about the kind of God that you like, but you ignore the Scriptures that tell you what God is really like. One remedy, I advise you to read all of Scripture beginning to end. Read it consecutively. Don't skip the hard parts and submit yourself to the whole thing, not just the parts that you like. Well, second, we don't face up to our pride. Peter believed in his own commitment more than he believed the word of the Lord. The other Gospels reveal that Peter believed that he was more committed than the other disciples. In Mark 14, Peter says, even though all may fail, yet I will not. Woo, that's a bold statement. And we know it's wrong, but that's what he said. Peter was blind to his own pride, his own self-confidence. Pride is the most common and troublesome sin that we face. Satan fell when he boasted, I will make myself like the Most High. Then in the garden, he tempted Eve by appealing to her pride, telling her that she would be like God. Ever since, the human race has been plagued with the sin of thinking too highly of ourselves. Scripture tells us to clothe ourselves in humility and to regard others as more important than ourselves. Now one clue uh, that we are blind to our pride is when we hear of someone who has sinned and we think, I could never do such a thing. You remember Peter? Hmm, he said that. Yet not, I I will not fail you. Well, he fell, and you can too. Well, third, we come under a satanic attack. Satan had demanded permission to sift Peter and the other apostles like wheat. But Peter was oblivious to the danger, even though Jesus had warned him. Later in his first epistle, in chapter 5, Peter wrote, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You all know about the statue, the lion statue right up there in Azalea Park. What if that thing came alive one day and was just roaming the streets of Crawfordville? All of a sudden, you'd be much more careful out there, wouldn't you? You might even take a weapon to protect yourself. And yet... We often ignore the adversary of our souls living as if he doesn't even exist. And folks, he does exist. he He exists for your destruction. Well, fourth, we grow spiritually dull and distant. Peter was not only dull with regard to the enemy without, talking about Satan. He was dull with regard to the enemy within. Jesus had warned the disciples, keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. But not sensing their spiritual danger, they fell asleep when they should have been praying. What was the result? Well, when Jesus was arrested, Peter reacted in the flesh, whacking off the servant's ear, and then he fled in fear. Now, he's come back, he's followed at a distance, and he sat down among Christ's enemies to warm himself by this fire in the courtyard outside of the house where Jesus is being tried. Now, whenever I deal with someone who's having serious problems, I ask about their devotional life. And invariably, it has either turned into an occasional routine or it has ceased altogether. The person has allowed their first love for Jesus to Cool. Now, your private devotional times, uh, they are the roots that sustain the tree. If a tree lacks deep roots, it's going to look pretty for a while on the outside, but a storm is going to hit that topples that tree. Now, if you lack deep deep roots with the Lord, frequent times where you meet with Him alone to to read and meditate on His Word and to commune with Him in prayer, if you don't do that, you're going to fall when the storms of temptations hit. Well, fifth, we respond to crises in the flesh, not in the spirit. When the mob mob came to arrest Jesus, Peter started swinging his sword, but his response was not what the Lord wanted. Now, I I suppose that Peter meant well, but his zeal did more damage than good. He was fighting when he should have been submitting. And then sitting by the fire, he was submitting to to group pressure when he should have fought in the spirit. Well, even so, when we've been dodging the hard truths of Scripture, we've not judged our pride, we're under satanic attack, and we're spiritually dull and distant, we will respond as well to crises in the flesh, not in God's Spirit. Something's going to happen that demands a godly, spiritual response, but we start swinging the sword, or we say and do things that deny our faith in Christ. That's the last bit of air leaking out of our spiritual tires. And sixth, sixth, we compromise our witness by our words and behavior. You wouldn't think that the rough and tough, the bold and brash Peter would be toppled by a servant girl, but he was. Now, although Luke is kind of kind to Peter in this passage, the other Gospels hint that his three denials uh, began small and grew to just horrible proportions. He first said to the girl, according to Mark, I don't know what you're talking about. And perhaps as she kept insisting that he had been with Jesus, he gave the response that Luke records. Woman, I do not know him. He changed locations, hoping to avoid any other confrontations. But the girl came again and repeated her charge, and this time she was joined by some of the men there, and now Peter had to stick with his story. You know what think about lying? you got to keep lying. So he stuck with his story, and, and, um, and again denied that he was one of the disciples and he said, man, I am not. For about an hour, he tried to block out his failure by making small talk, talk around the fire. That was a mistake. How many noticed in that video when Scotty, I can't think of her last name now, Burns, I the, the lady that started it, when she came in there and started talking, did you notice that she was really from the south? Her accent gave her away. Well, Jesus, I mean, Peter, his accent gave him what? He was from Galilee. wasn't from Judah. He had a totally different accent. So they accuse him again. Hey, surely you are one of his disciples because you are a Galilean. And then Peter began to curse and swear, swear according to the other gospels, insisting that he did not know this man. Now notice, not once does he ever say the name of Jesus. At this point, we can't believe what we've seen. Peter that that bold brash apostle openly denying that he knew his savior and lord now that's the awful process how the air leaks out of a tire out of our tires and now we're just running on the rims we would have thought it inconceivable at first but that's where we end up when we don't fix the leaks now thankfully the story doesn't end there in Peter's restoration we see God's abundant grace and that's the second Point, major point. If we will repent of our spiritual failures, God will restore us and use us again in His service. Now, the turning point for Peter involved two things. The crowing of the rooster, what did that do? That reminded him of Jesus' prediction, didn't it? But number two was the Lord's turning and looking directly at Peter. What a look that must have been. Normally, a guilty person won't look you in the eye. I was telling the first service this dawned on me while I was preaching. I remember the first time I got in trouble for lying. Now, I'm sure it happened before, but I was not too young to remember. I was about seven years old, and we live in a two-story house, and I was up on the second floor, and I struck a match. I found a bulk of matches, and I struck a match. Well, what I didn't realize was that if you're not in a room with a match, and you walk into a room where the match is struck, you go, oh, somebody struck a match. You can't miss it. So Daddy came upstairs, and he says, son, Did you strike a match? I wouldn't look at him. I knew I had, but I said, no. (laughs) Daddy took a belt and bent me over his bed and wore me out. A few minutes later, I'm sitting in his lap. You know, I've been crying, and I'm holding on to him now. And he said, son, do you know why I spanked you? And I said, no. He said, I didn't spank you because you struck a match. I think he would have spanked me if I'd have told him. I don't know that. He said, I spanked you because you lied to me. Huge impact, huge impact. Well, here Jesus locks eyes with Peter. Good gracious. Luke twice refers to Jesus here as the Lord, and that's just emphasizing his deity. Peter instantly fell apart in repentance and godly sorrow over what he had done, and Scripture says he went out and wept bitterly. Have you ever wept bitterly over your sin? I hope you have. A couple more things here. The path of restoration requires repentance. Now, I can only comment on several aspects of repentance. First is remembrance of God's Word. Peter, verse 61 says, Peter remembered the Word of the Lord. Remember what he had said, his prediction. All repentance begins when we remember the Word of the Lord. What does the Lord say about what I've done? And that's the issue. Man may make light of sin. Don't worry about it. Everyone slips up occasionally. Don't be too hard on yourself. But God's Word is the final authority. It tells me that, yes, I have sinned. Second is conviction of our sin. The Lord's look penetrated down to Peter's conscience. Jesus didn't have to say anything. Peter was deeply convicted in his heart. He didn't try to paper over it or to make excuses or rationalize it away. Conviction acknowledges that God is right and I am wrong. Third is godly sorrow over sin. Now, this is going to vary with the seriousness of the, of the sin and, and the personality of the sinner. But when our consciences realize that we have sinned against a Savior who loved us enough to die for us on the cross, we will mourn over our sin. We won't be flippant. We won't be it. We won't shrug it off. Fourth is appropriation of Christ's sacrifice for our sin. Now, Jesus had already begun to suffer for Peter's sins as he endured abuse at the hands of sinners. And that sacrifice would be completed on the cross where Jesus cried out, It is finished. Now, we cannot atone for our sins by our own sorrow and penance. Christ alone fully paid the penalty that we owe. We can only appropriate Christ's sacrifice to cover our sins. Well, fifth is appreciation of God's abundant grace. Christ, his look, not only conveyed conveyed the pain that he felt at Peter's failure, it also communicated his great love and grace. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, verse 61 told us that, but that word included the fact that he would be restored because Jesus was praying for him. What amazing grace that Christ chose Peter and us knowing full well that we would fail him. His grace saved us and it keeps us until the day when we will be with him forever. Now, if you say I've sinned too badly, I just can't accept God's forgiveness and grace, then you're not trusting in Christ alone. You're proudly trusting in your own method of atonement Christians believe in and thank God for His grace as the only basis for forgiveness. If you need to be restored, you must repent of your sin and trust again in God's grace and mercy. Well, the path of restoration results in renewed service. As you know, the Lord personally restored Peter and didn't kick him off the apostolic team. When the day of Pentecost came, it was Peter who stood in Jerusalem before some of the same people who may have heard him deny Christ, and he boldly proclaimed Jesus as Savior and Lord, risen now from the dead. Peter recovered from the fear of what people thought, and he was restored to care about what pleases Christ. So he preached, and God was pleased to save 3,000 souls that day. That same grace is available to all who have failed the Lord. If you'll turn back to Him, He'll abundantly pardon and restore you to fellowship with Him and service in His cause. Remember this, you may be a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. Let's pray. Thank you for people like Peter, a Lord, who failed you miserably and yet was restored to accomplish great things. So God, I pray that you would just be with us wherever we're at in our walk with you. That would urge us to the next step, to be one cl- step closer to you, Father, in following you. God, help us to repair those leaks that are in our own spiritual tires, that they do not go flat. God, help us today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, then you need to turn to God today. We talked about that earlier. It's a matter of repentance and faith. Repent, turn from your sin, and turn to God. He's holy, which means you're going to have to do away with your sin. That's repentance. Faith is simply trusting in the completed work of Christ on the cross on your behalf. Don't trust in yourself, believe me. You cannot bring anything that is going to impress God. Okay, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, you know, what do you have that you did not receive? Why are you boasting? Who, 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 you know, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you've received it, why are you boasting as if you didn't receive it? In other words, it didn't come from you, it's come from God. So you're not going to impress God in any way. You come denouncing yourself, asking God for mercy, and He will be merciful to you today. Now if you're a believer, um, you know, we're all in degrees of walking with God. are are you cooler today than you were, say, five years ago or five hours ago, (laughs) right? Understand repentance and faith are the way back to God, just like you came to him the first time. Ask him to forgive you. He restored Peter. He will restore you as well. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.